Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 7. And I just got to say, how good is it to see Redeemer Kids up and going again? So, so, so thankful to our kids ministry team and our setup team for pulling that off. They had to reshuffle it all, rework it all, uh, but we're so grateful to have our kids uh, going again and Redeemer Kids. And speaking of kids, um, uh, in any children's Bible you pick up, if you went to Barnes & Noble, bought a children's Bible, there's, you can like bank on it. There's stories that you know you're going to find in any children's Bible. Some of those are what? What stories do you know you're going to find in a kid's Bible? David and Goliath. What else? Noah's Ark, Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, these are the ones you know you're going to find in every kid's Bible. And there's a reason for that. They're amazing to watch uh, how God uses his people in the midst of some uh, supernatural ways is absolutely awesome. But I think there's a subtle danger with what I'll call kind of those big stories of the Bible. It's that um, the, the sub-hero, the lowercase h hero, can become the hero, and we can lose sight of like, what is God doing in the midst of this story? So what's God doing in the midst of Daniel and the lion's dead? And what's, <clears throat> what's God doing in the midst of David and Goliath. Like, that's more than just an underdog story. What's God doing there? And as we are in the midst of, the, of what we traditionally call Noah's Ark, we, I want us to understand what is, who is God and what is he doing in this? And, and so um, we're going to uh, lace up the tennies because we're going to cover some ground today. Uh, I, I want to I take us all the way from uh, them boarding the boat to the rainbow in the sky. And so we're going to cover some ground today, but, but I want to do that intentionally because I want to pull out three things that we learn about the character of God from uh, the title I'm calling of today, God in the Ark. Three things we learn about the character of who our God is. And, and, and really importantly then, we need to understand how do we live in light of that? If this is who God is, how should that impact the way that when we say amen and you are loved and you are sent and you walk out of these doors today, how does that impact the way that you live the rest of Sunday all the way to next Sunday? This is where we're going today. And, and I'll just kind of uh, give you the answers before the test starts. Here are the three things I want us to see about the character of God in this story. I want to see that he is a commanding God. Our God is a commanding God. And our God is a just God. And our God is a gracious God. We're going to see these things in this story. And if right now you're like, gracious, I mean, this is a story of God literally wiping mankind off the face of the earth. Where is God's grace in that? We're going to see where God's grace is in that. And so I want us to see who our God is, the story of God in the ark, so that we don't lose sight of the hero in the midst of a, of a story that we can be so, so familiar with. And so if you will, pick up the story with me. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation." Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, also male and its mate, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And then verse 5 is really important. Verse 5 is a statement we see repeated throughout the, the Noah story. And Noah did all that the Lord had what? 
And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And so uh, Pastor Brian did such a good job of taking us through chapter 6. In chapter 6, we saw the instructions for the building of the boat. And a picture of the Ark Encounter, if you get a free Saturday, go down there as a family, get a feel for like what the task that God left Noah to do. And so chapter 6 lays out uh, the, the instructions for the building of the boat. Chapter 6 ends with the same line we just read. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. And now as we flip the page to chapter 7, now it's now getting the boarding instructions. And I just, I just got to say, I don't know how I'd be feeling about boarding a boat I just built. Like for me, with my handyman skills, that doesn't end well in the middle of the lake. And so uh, Noah builds the boat, and then God says, two of every kind, and get on it. And that would be a bit hard for me. And yet Noah, what we find here, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Three times we find those words. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. See, Noah understood something. God is his commanding officer. Uh, I've been talking to my brother-in-law on Saturday mornings. He's stationed in South Korea with the army. And um, uh, he said something in our phone call last Saturday that he wouldn't even think anything of because it's just normal life for him. But it struck me the way that he views his commanding officer. He was telling me a story from the week. And uh, he said, you know, I just told my commanding officer, sir, if that's what you think is best, that is what I will do. And it just struck me like, in our military men and women understand something. When the commanding officer says, boom, it's boom. It isn't nah. It isn't, hey, do you want to tweak that command a bit? Sir, if that's what you believe is best, that is what I will do. And we need to understand something about the living God that we follow. He is a commanding God. Our God is a commanding God. How are we to respond to that? We are to simply faithfully obey. This is what we are to do. God is a commanding God. We are to obey faithfully. And over and over again, and because of the repetition, God wants us, God wants us to see, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah simply obeyed. When God said, build a ginormous boat, Though you probably don't even have a concept for what a boat is. And you'll certainly go, why in the world are we building such a massive one? Never seen a flood before, ever. Noah just simply obeyed. As a small group right now, we're reading uh, David Platt's book, Radical, and there's a line in the chapter last week we were reading that just the simplicity of it struck me. He said, God does not give us options to consider. He gives us commands to obey. And man, I'll tell you what, just transparently, how many times I'm just, I just take what the Lord is telling me to do as an option I can consider. Yep, you know, Lord, I'll think about that. Let me pray on that, God. Oh, that's a spiritual one. Mm, let me pray on that. And the Lord's like, uh, you don't need to pray, like I've already said. How often, right? The Lord gives clear commands, and we're just, we just view them as options to consider. Noah just started swinging a hammer and building a boat. And then God said, Noah, get on it with animals and in-laws. <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all. And it just said the Lord, 
just Noah did all that God had commanded him. And I just want to ask, well, before I ask us, um, I, I want to acknowledge um, there's nothing new or novel in what I'm saying here. Like if I prayed and said amen and I dismissed this right now, people would be like, what was church about Sunday? You'd be, you'd be like, oh, obeying God. And they're like, wow, like earth shattering. I think we all have come to church this morning and knowledge that, yeah, I knew that I'm to obey God. I think all of us are like, how? Do, how? <laughs> like, what about, how, what's the, where's the power to do that? How do we execute that? How do we live that out? And I, I want to, it'll be on the screen, don't turn in your Bible, but I want to show you a verse towards the end of our Bible that actually tips its hand for how Noah had the power to actually obey what God told him to do. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this, by, by what? What's the second word? By? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Noah built. The source of the power to obey the Lord comes by faith. When we read in the Bible that, that God has given us commands to follow, that he's given us instructions for life that are uh, ultimately for his glory and ultimately for our good, we take this by faith that the Lord knows better than we do what, how we are to live and what we are to do. When, when the Lord calls us to huge steps of faith in our life, this will be a bit redundant, but we're to step out by faith and follow him. And we're to go even though we can't see. And all through this book, we see people walking even though, I mean, when we get to the Abraham, well, I won't go there because we're going to preach on it. But all through this Bible, we see when God says go, people go. Where am I going? Yeah, I'll show you. How do I know when I get there? You'll know. And the Lord calls out by faith. And so I just want to ask us a question by way of application right now. Where does it need to read in your life right now? And Brock did all that the Lord had commanded him. And fill in your name, did all that the Lord had commanded her. Where does it need to read that in your life right now? Where does it need, that, where does it need to read that from a sin perspective? That just like you finally just shoot yourself straight and you're like, yeah, I'm just being disobedient. I am just choosing sin over the Lord, and I need to do all that the Lord has commanded me. Where, does it, where, does it, where do you need to stop shrinking back in fear what the Lord has been propelling you forward in faith, and where do you just need to finally today, not tomorrow, not I'll pray about it one more night, but today, before you walk out of here, just say, yes, Lord, I'll go. It is terrifying, but I'm stepping out in faith. That same uh, chapter I read in Hebrews 11 tells us by faith, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God, that we would be people who obey what the Lord has told us to do, and we would step out in faith and do it. God is a commanding God. He's not just simply left us options to consider. When he gives us a command, his expectation is, is our commanding officer is that we would obey. Now, there's consequences when the commanding officer isn't obeyed. And Noah is in the midst of a culture and a flood is coming because he's living in a culture in which the commands of the commanding officer have not been obeyed. Remember what we saw in Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 6 verse 5. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The exponential evil, the rampant wickedness. What happens when the commanding officer is not obeyed? Verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And, and for the rest of the chapter 7, we see the waters are going to begin to prevail. The waters are going to rise. There's going to be this divine act of grace in the midst of the act of the wrath of God in which God is going to shut Noah and his family and the animals in the ark, a divine act of grace. But I want us to, to jump forward all the way down to verse Verse 20, and I want us to feel, I know we're so familiar with this story, but I want us to feel the devastation of the greatest supernatural disaster act in history. Verse 20, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils, look at, the, look at the phrase here. This is really important. And I'll tie this together with something else in a minute. All, um, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Think about the devastation of this statement. There are, there are eight people left. Uh, scholars Scholars refer to this part of the Noah account as decreation, the decreation. Um, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Uh, the earth is uh, dark and it's covered with water, and it says the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, and then God says, let there be light, and let there be, and let there be, and let there be, and, and out of the chaos and the darkness comes order, and comes life, and, and the creation account culminates in God breathing into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and man and woman become his image bearers. Now look at the decreation. The wickedness has run rampant and the Lord again covers the face of the earth with the waters and he takes from man the breath of life and from creation to decreation, from creation to devastation. And, and you look at this and this is such an important question for believers, but it's an, e it's an equally important question for unbelievers. Because how many times I've been in conversation with unbelievers who've gone, if you believe in a loving God and you believe in the Noah account, why would a loving God wipe the man and woman he created off the face of the earth? And, and the very nature of that question often reveals that we do not have a proper understanding of the justice of God. The second thing I want us to know and remember and take from the Noah account is this, is God is a just God. We can't lose sight of that. God is a just God. We are to live fearfully of that reality. We are. 
And, 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 and we, as a culture, I'm, I'm not like coming at you as just our church. Or, uh, we, as a culture, can cringe back, can shrink back from trying to have a fuller understanding of the justice of a holy God. And I get it. In our humanity, the more you meditate on the holiness and the justice of God, you're like, whoa. I get why we shrink back from that, but here's what's so important. In a culture that often wants to bypass the study of God's justice in order to get to God's grace, we don't fully understand what we're doing. Here's why. You cannot understand the grace of God without driving directly through an understanding of his justice. You with me? Like, like if, if we don't understand the justice and holiness of God, you can't understand grace. Because why is he giving us grace? If God is just like the big man in heaven and like Jesus is my homeboy, like we're missing it. God is a holy God. He's not like us at all. He is the anti-us. He's the anti-me. I am so not like God. And you are so not like God. And nothing we experience in this broken world is like God. If he came down right now, we would be on our faces in fear. He is that majestic, and he is that mighty, and he is that holy, and he is that pure. When Jesus got in flesh, got in, boat, in the boat with Peter, and they caught like hundreds of fish, Peter looked at him and said, get away from me, Lord, because I am, I'm, an, I'm a man of unclean lips. I am not holy. Peter knew something just like, whoa, that doesn't happen, that many fish all at once. This dude's different. I, I want us to see here the justice of God poured out on the earth. He could not, in the very character of who he is, just turn a blind eye to the rampant, rampant wickedness of the world. He wouldn't be the good God that we've come to worship today if he did. He had to pour out his justice because it's in the very nature of his character too. Now, because of that justice, we are to live fearfully of this God. And again, like we can... I'm going to read for us in a minute. I'm just going to rapid fire scriptures on the fear of the Lord and what it produces in our life. But we can like so not want to talk about the fear of the Lord. We can want to so water down the fear of the Lord. Man, it just means respect. It does. But when you see the Lord show up in the Bible, they're not just like, hey man, I respect you. They're like, I'm going to die. I mean, if you just want to study this week, just look at the appearances of the Lord in the Bible, and every time they're like, yeah, I'm dead. We are to live in fear of our God. And I, I want to read for us, because it's a fear unlike any other fear. It's a purifying and a holy and a healthy fear. It's a fear unlike any other fear. But I want you to see what the Word of God has to say about what the fear of the Lord produces in our life when we understand the holiness and the justice of God. Proverbs 1.7. Uh, will you stand in honor of the reading of the Word? And would you worship as the word is read? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is hatred of what? Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. The fear of the Lord is a what? Come on. It's a fountain of what? It's a fountain of life. Greater life comes from fearing the Lord that one may turn away from the snares of death. Uh, And his mercy is for those who fear him. Fear and mercy go together from generation to generation. The fear of the Lord, here it is again, the fear of the Lord leads to, and whoever has it rests. Do you see how this is a fear unlike any other fear? He will not be visited by harm. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to him his covenant. Uh, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. O fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no Praise the Lord. Say it. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You may be seated. Do you see what the Bible says about fear of the Lord? It brings life. It leads to mercy. It satisfies those who are friends of God, fear him. The fear of the Lord is unlike any other fear. Everything else we fear in life, we want to get as far away from as we possibly can. The fear of the Lord draws us near to the Lord. The more we fear him, the more we want to be near him. It's what C.S. Lewis encapsulated so well in the character Aslan. This ferocious lion who you just wanted to draw near to because he was so good. This is our living God. And when we live in fear of him, it produces righteousness and holiness and faith and we just want more of him. And only the Holy Spirit can sort out for us how that works in its fullness. But I just want to look at us because my next point is all about God's grace, but we said it at the outset of justice. We can't understand grace without understanding his justice. We can't revel in his grace without worshiping over his justice. But where is the grace of God in this story? How in the world is a preacher going to stand up and in a story about God wiping mankind off the face of the earth, talk about God being a gracious God? Where is his grace? Look at the tone change in chapter 8. But God, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And chapter 8 from that point begins to talk about the waters receding. The waters are going down from decreation to recreation. The waters going down, orders going to rise. Uh, Jump down to me, verse 13. 
In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. Can you imagine how good that would have been to see? Land. And Noah removed, uh, uh, verse 14, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, what Noah had waited, uh, lunar calendar here, about 360 days. This is 370 days, so a year and 10 days. A year and 10 days on a boat with animals. Come on. Can you imagine what this, I mean, this was music to Noah's ear right here. Verse 16, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be, here it is, here it is, here's the command again. Remember the command when he made man and woman? Here it is again. Here it is in the recreation. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the ground, went out by families from the ark. Can you imagine that moment? The big wooden door covered in pitch. Fresh air hitting you. Standing on land, trying to get your sea legs under control looking around, and when you got into that boat, the earth was populated, and you look everywhere that you can possibly see, and there is nothing living except that which is coming down the door of the boat. And they come out. I plead us to see the grace of God in this. The protection of a remnant hidden in a boat while the wrath is poured out on all mankind so that he could still be faithful to the promise he gave in Genesis 3.15. I'm bringing a snake crusher. I'm bringing a snake crusher. It's going to be epic. He's preserving that line. And here they are, back out. But more grace, more grace, more grace. Verse 20, uh, chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean burned and offered burnt offerings on the altar. What's the first thing you'd do after you got off a boat after a year and 10 days? Noah worships. Bring some of those clean animals. We're worshiping the Lord right here, right now. Build the altar. Let's go. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah, more grace, more grace, more grace. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Back to the original commission to man. I want my image multiplied across the globe. Noah, you and your family, let's go, let's do this. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning 
saying, from every beast I will require it, from man uh, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, here it is again, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. More grace, more grace, more grace. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my what? I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you. What's the covenant, God? That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me me and all flesh that is on the earth, a covenant of grace. Never again will I cut off every living thing with a global flood. And here is the sign to prove it. Like a ring on a finger at a wedding, here is the sign to prove it. It's the rainbow in the clouds. Man, as God's people, when we see a rainbow, it is so much more than light particles hitting water particles. We see a rainbow, we worship. Thank you, Lord, for it everlasting reminder until you make this world new that you will never again cut off all humanity with a flood like this. You see God's grace. You see God's grace in the remnant he protected. You see God's grace in the recreation after the flood. You see God's grace in the covenant of grace he makes here with Noah. And we'll continue to see God's grace in covenants all through the redemptive story. I just want to show you a slide. This is the first covenant. Uh, Adam and Eve are made. God says, don't eat of that tree. They eat of the tree anyway. After this, God assigns consequences, and he looks at the serpent, and he says, uh, one is coming, a seed of Eve, and uh, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. You know how much I love that part. And then this covenant with Noah, a covenant of grace. I've started over. I've wiped it clean. Never again will I send a flood to wipe it clean like this again. This covenant I'm making with you, Noah, it doesn't depend at one, it doesn't depend one ounce on your faithfulness. I will be faithful to my word. We're going to see a covenant with Abraham. He's going to look at Abraham, this guy without a son. He's going to say, from you, a whole nation's going to rise. And uh, not just a nation, like, from you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Like, what? How? Yeah, I, don't, I don't even have a son. And I'm like, 90. How? And God lets it be in this family, Abraham's family, it grows into this nation. And then there's this covenant with Moses at Sinai in which the God delivers the law. And here's how the nation is to operate. And this law that I'm giving is going to be looking forward to this perfect law keeper, which is the new covenant ushered in by Jesus Christ. The perfect law keeper who comes and keeps the law perfectly because we or no one in history ever could have. The one who would climb a cross as perfect to die the death for imperfect 
so that we imperfect people, the moment we cast our faith on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can be righteous in the sight of God and go be with him and be reunited to the creator that we were made to know. The covenants of grace strung all through redemptive history. And I just look at us and I just want us to understand this. God is a just God, but we also have to know that God is a gracious God. He is gracious in his justice and we are to receive his grace freely. Have you received the grace of God freely? The grace of God was poured out to Noah and hiding him in a boat while his wrath was poured out. I just got to love us enough to look out and say, like, the end of this book tells us there's a, the Lord is going to pour his wrath out on this world again. Not by water, but by fire. He will. I love you. I love you. It'd be so much easier to just be like, man, like, let's just come and talk about feel-good stuff all the time. No, no, no. We love each other, and we just have to look each other eyeball to eyeball at times and go, like, God is going to judge all this again by fire. His wrath is coming. But he's made a way to be rescued. Just as Noah and his family were hidden in a boat, those who are hidden in Christ will be rescued from the wrath of God. Jesus already absorbed the full wrath of a holy God on the cross. For those who call on Jesus in faith, not one ounce of the wrath of God is left for us propitiation y'all not one ounce left but that is true and it only applies for those of us in this room who are hidden in Christ has there ever been a point in your life where God has just absolutely broken you and brought you to a place where you said I am not my own savior and I can't be good enough to earn my way to a holy God. And oh, that God in this, this room right now would just take some of us out at our knees and bring us to a place where all we are left to do is cry out to the perfect Savior who died on our behalf. And here's what God vows to you. Here's what God covenants with you. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved from the wrath of God that is to come. He covenants it with you. He's never going to take it back. He's never going to change that. For those of you who are in Christ, who listen, this was a rough week and you blew it and sin abounded. Listen, listen. He's not like, oh, I'm taking it back on him now. No, 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 no. You are hidden in Christ. Fully, finally, forever. You are his. But right here in these seats today, all of us got to search our hearts and go, have I cried out in faith on the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from my sin? If, if you haven't, right here, prompted by the Spirit of God who is pulling you to himself, would you cry out and confess your need for Jesus to save you today? Church, stand up right where you're at. Let's sing of this faithfulness.